This episode of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast is brought to you by Tudor Collegiate Strategies. For nearly two decades, athletic departments and coaches have relied on Dan Tudor and his team to create winning recruiting plans, tell effective stories to their prospects, and help get the commitments from the recruits they really want. Bring us in to lead a live recruiting workshop on your campus this year, or talk to us about working one-on-one with you as a client. Visit dantutor.com after the show for all the ways we've been helping to build winning programs and successful college coaching careers. And now it's time for the show. That's right. It's time for today's episode of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast with your host on the list for a future seat on the Supreme Court and America's recruiting guru, Dan Tudor. Coach, something I hear all the time from college recruiters who are trying to put together great teams is... What are the intangibles? What are the things that I should be looking for beyond the X's and O's, beyond just the stats, their times, everything like that? How do I find those little things that set a recruit apart from everybody else that I'm recruiting? Well, today's guest might just be able to answer that a little bit. His name is Evan Burke, and he is a former NFL and college football coach who just released a book called Finding Intangibles. And it's really about how we can look for and find the little things that set superstars apart from everybody else. Now, the interesting thing about Coach Burke is that, yeah, he coached in the NFL, he coached college football, but he actually never played high school football. He's not a uh, a football player in the traditional path that most football players take to be a coach, which is a little bit of a side note that we get into in the podcast conversation that you're about to listen to. But we really wanted to focus on his his latest book, which, by the way, we will put the links to in the show notes on where to buy it. Uh, he has a great podcast as well that you can look at and listen to. And uh, so all the ways to contact him, we'll put that in the show notes. Uh, really interesting person to get in touch with and to follow But we really wanted to focus on, again, how do recruiters find kids, find prospects that are going to make a difference in their program beyond just looking at their stats? And that's really how we started the conversation with Coach Burke. The question centering around how did he even get into this area of study and why the fascination with finding intangibles? I think when coaches are talking about the intangibles of a player, I think they're talking about the unseen character traits that end up dictating that person or that team's success. Uh, And this can be anything from their mindset, their their passion for being great within that game, uh, or even being a good teammate. Uh, But typically what we're talking about is these hidden traits uh, that every person has and possesses that end up leading to their eventual success. And so, I mean, as a as a coach that took a pretty interesting, you know, um, course into coaching, uh, not having been a uh, um, you know a college athlete, and yet you wound up, you know, in in all these different coaching situations, uh, of all the things you could have written about, you chose intangibles. I'm just wondering, what was it about the the whole topic that that either interested you or saw it being relevant? to the athletic community um, or really to any kind of team building community? Why did you choose this topic? 
I think it's a topic I've always been passionate about and one that I've been thinking about since the beginning of my coaching career. And I guess maybe in a, uh, not something I've uh, purposely thought about, but maybe subconsciously a book that I wanted to have when I was a young coach and, and developing as a coach. Uh, and I think as I started to progress through my career, and I was very fortunate to coach at every level of college athletics in the professional ranks, all the way down to, to the youth ranks, uh, including high school, uh, I just had this feeling that there was more to winning or, or what was dictating the winning teams than just talent. Right. And I, I think you see that across the board, regardless of the competition mm -hmm. level. Uh, and it was something that I felt was right early in my career. And as I progressed through my career, I started to meet people that were aligned with my thinking. And I think as I started to do more research, uh, I started to find that it was, in fact, uh, the character of these teams that made them great, not necessarily their talent. And we're a society, and especially coaches are a group of people that love data. They love to dig into you know, the measurements and the, the ratings and, and all that. Um, and I'm guessing the intangibles are all outside of that. So I'm, I'm, as, we, as we sort of dig and go deeper into this whole topic, as a coach, what did you see uh, getting the experience at all these different levels with the way coaches viewed intangibles and, and how did they measure them or did they measure them or how did they, was it just personal preference of what, what an intangible was on a positive end for one coach may not be for another coach? Like what, what are your general observations about the way coaches kind of look at this, this whole topic of intangibles in the, the athletes they coach and, and even the prospects they recruit? Well, I think like with any profession, you're going to have people all across the spectrum uh, that are bringing their own experiences into their current roles, their current teams. And I think that. So let me rephrase it then. The successful coaches you've been around are the people that you think they should be emulated. They're doing it right. How did they approach the whole topic of intangibles with all those differences? I agree with you. All the differences out there. What. What did you see as a common trait or a few common traits maybe among the most successful when it came to how they treated or judged intangibles? Yeah. And, and, you know, I was very passionate about this in my career and I actually ended up writing my master's thesis on this topic because I was fortunate to work with certain coaches that thought like me, but also had the methods behind it as well. And that's where I really started to get into it. And I think that they look at things that to be quite honest, as a young coach, I didn't even consider looking at. And so they would talk about uh, showing up pregame an hour before a game was going to be played and that that was the most crucial time to do your evaluation, uh, to, to watch people in the weight room and, and not necessarily what their weight was that was on the bench press, but how they were lifting that weight. Um, and so I started to kind of see a lot of things that they would mention and talk about. And, and this was not only people I was personally working with, this was throughout my own reading. This is like reading about what does Nick Saban look for? Mm -hmm. um, and, and there's things like competitiveness, uh, resiliency, a growth mindset, uh, being a great teammate that you kind of started to see, or, or that I at least started to see as a pattern between what not only the great coaches that I worked with, we're talking about, but also 
the all-time greats, the Bill Belichicks, the Greg Popoviches, the Nick Sabans we're talking about as well. Right. Are there things that um, that when we, again, you start at the beginning process of sort of defining or recognizing intangibles, are there some common ones among the coaches that you, uh, that you look for? You mentioned, the, for instance, competitiveness, and I think that's one that every coach loves. We, I talked to a lot of soccer coaches or basketball coaches that love to go to games and watch an athlete live and in person because they get to see what's happening when the ball's on the other side of the field or when they're out, when they go to the bench and do they, are they polite to their parents afterwards? I mean, little things like that. Are those some of the intangibles? And if they are, what gets added to that list? What are some things that you've seen successful coaches kind of define as these are the intangibles we really look for. Yeah. And it's in, like we talked about a moment ago, it's going to be different for a whole host of coaches. Um, and I think it's also specific to certain environments, right? Like I would imagine a basketball team would have different traits than a football team might define. Uh, but I think as I started to kind of identify all of these these commonalities what i tried to do was i tried to make it as simple as possible so um i kind of identify three areas that coaches typically look at and they might define different pieces of that but the three areas that i defined were finding mindset the second one was finding heart and then the third one was finding team players and so, you know, you, you mentioned competitiveness, you know, to me that falls under heart and there's a lot of things that can fall under heart, you know, somebody's passion for being great, uh, somebody's love of the game, the, the importance that football takes in their life. You know, I put that all under the finding heart category because you kind of saw different elements from different coaches. Uh, but I thought that they all kind of fit under these one of these three buckets. Got it. Um, is one bucket more important than the other? And I know it, it always comes down to an individual choice, but what is your individual choice based on you know those three that you define and what you've seen and just what you would look for as a coach? So I read a book called Mindset by Carol Dweck um, when I was at when I was coaching at UCLA um, towards the end of my coaching career. And as I was reading that book, it's all about growth mindset and how to how to uh, coach and teach with growth mindset, how to have growth mindset in your relationships and and teaching people. Uh, and I and I think that um, as I was reading that book, it really struck me. Number one, I, I should have read this book year one of my coaching career. I, I wish I had. Uh, and number two is that growth mindset it was vitally important in the recruiting process. All of the things that were being talked about in terms of the work ethic, in terms of coming back from failure and the resiliency to get up again, uh, the ability to look at both your failures and your successes and focus on where you can improve. Uh, that really struck me early on to start defining these things that I had felt for a long time were, were, were aspects that, that dictated success. Uh, to answer, so for me, growth mindset is where a lot of this started, right. but I do not believe that one takes precedence over the other okay. unless you as a coach or you as a team determine 
that one of these aspects is going to be more important than the other one. Right. Um, and, and I think, you know, part of the evaluation process is, is finding the story of the individual. And, you know, one, one player might have a lot of success because of football being so important to them, mm-hmm. but another player might have a lot of success because of their ability to continue to rebound from failure and their continue their continuing ability to desire to push further, even in the midst of success. Yeah. So it really depends. Yeah, no, no. And that makes sense. And you mentioned recruiting and kind of uncovering that maybe during the recruiting process a little bit. Uh, let's focus on that. Cause that's of course a big topic of what we work with coaches uh, on. So if I'm a coach and I would say that a lot of coaches are trying to get beyond just what they see on the field or on the court or in the pool or whatever their sport is, they're trying to say great times or great marks, or here's what they run the 40 and all that's good. But now I want to dig deeper. Is this somebody I want to coach? Are they going to be able to handle the workload at whatever level I'm at as a, as a coach? Uh, And so beyond recognizing that these intangibles are important. If I'm recruiting an athlete, I'm watching him play. Again, I'll ask you, because there's a lot of different ways to do it, but what have you seen successful coaches do to determine something, for instance, like competitiveness? Um, you know, what what would be a way that coaches could get a true determination or, a, or at least a true snapshot of what that athlete's makeup is when it comes to that very important intangible trait as an athlete? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, we could go a, a thousand different directions with this, but I think that, uh, you know, one of the really important things is is obviously talking to them, talking to the prospect, and then also talking to the people around the prospect. And one of the common mistakes I've seen is that they, football specifically, they go straight to the high school football coach, mm-hmm. or they know somebody on that football staff and they talk to that football staff. Um, those coaches typically are going to, for the most part, speak pretty glowingly of a a really good player. And if you're being recruited to play in college, you're probably a pretty good player. You're probably the reason behind the success of that program in recent years. And even if you're not the greatest person, they're probably going to speak pretty highly of you because of your talent. Um, And I don't really think you get a whole lot from the coach. Like you've seen the film, you know that this is a person you want to recruit based on their talent. So what I would do when I was recruiting is I would typically go in and I want to speak to everybody that's not affiliated with the football program. So there was a story in particular where I showed up at a high school here in Texas um, and I was signing in to, to see a certain player and the front desk person, obviously, you know, Texas high school football is a big deal. We all know mm-hmm. that. Uh, and so the, the front desk lady goes, oh, who are you here to see? I said, oh, I'm, I'm here to see Billy Cole. Oh, we love Billy Cole. We love Billy Cole. Hmm. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, seems like a great football player. Glad, glad you like him. Uh, vice, vice principals walking by at the same time. Oh, you're here to see Billy. Oh, Billy is our favorite. Yep, we love Billy. Okay, good sign. Yeah. Uh, walk in to. I don't go to the uh, coach's office. I go straight to the registrar's office to get his transcript. Uh, walk in the door, two old ladies sitting there at the registrar's office. Hey, uh, I'm, I'm here to get Billy Cole's transcript. Oh my God. We love Billy Cole. Okay. 
So either I'm being set up for a prank or <laughs> this is one of the, the greatest high school uh, athletes slash people uh, I've come across. And, and it was definitely true that he was a great person. And mm-hmm. like a lot of people, and I think a lot of coaches that I've worked with in the past would say, okay, yeah, but what does that really matter? Well, the thing is, is like, I've already watched the film. I already know that I think in my evaluation of his talent, that he can play at this level, that he can help us win. Right. Okay. Now, after I get past that, I'm not just comparing him to the other running backs I'm looking at. I don't want to just like compare him against the other running backs. I want to know what's he going to do when he gets to our program. Right. Is he going to be a positive influence on the people around him? Is he going to potentially push himself to be better than he is? Um, what do we want to spend eight to 10 hours a day with this person? Uh, and, and I think that these little things you can easily write off, but I also think that they tell the story. And I think you want to, you want to understand the player, but you also want to understand the person because ultimately you're recruiting both. Right. I, I know at the college level too, culture is so important. And in your book, you talk about that the people end up being your culture. It's not that you have a culture and you have to cram these people into it, that you really do have to look to add or recruit people, student athlete prospects that that are going to fit into your culture. And there's lots of books on culture. I mean, we're obsessed with that. I think as a, again, as a society and as coaches, culture is a big thing. Um, But can you just go a little bit deeper or, or make the correlation of how, these intangibles that individually are important to, to, to coaches and they have an idea of what they want that to be, all that I'm assuming relates directly back to the culture they're looking for. And if they decide to skip over one of those intangibles that would define that athlete, um, just because they run the 40 a little faster than their current wide receiver, not necessarily a, a good thing that's going to have a long-term positive result. Every person you bring into your locker room tells the team what you're about. Hmm. And I believe that every person you're bringing in, obviously, they're bringing in a certain level of talent. And we all know, like, the reality of sports, especially at the highest levels, is that talent a lot of times can override glaring personality defects or, um, you know, you don't just build a a team full of the the most polite people. We we kind of understand that. Um, but if you're trying to build a culture, and let's just say that you know you you believe in character and you want to build a team of character, uh, and you go acquire a high priced free agent who maybe you know to take to rip from the headlines right now, a, a person that has multiple. Uh, lawsuits and and criminal counts against them, uh, and and I'm not making any declaration on what happened. I don't know enough about it, but like you are making a statement to your team. Now their statement is like, we don't care about this. This is a talented person that we wouldn't be able to get, and like you have to be able to live with that um, that decision. And so I think a lot of it, it's all intertwined, obviously. Um, But I use the example, or I like to cite the example of the New England Patriots, who are kind of known in in the NFL as a team that is never the most talented, 
but yet is always able to kind of pull out these tight games and, and find players that other teams cut uh, that they go on to the Patriots and they become these all pro players that are key pieces to building a championship team. Um, and I think that a lot of times, even when the Patriots have taken chances, they've taken chances when they have an extremely strong locker room presence of whatever the culture they're trying to build. And, you know, for New England, they do things a very certain way that's different than a lot of NFL teams. A lot of NFL teams, the talent wins out, like the, the players are running things. It's not like that in New England. You know, you either buy into their program or you don't. Right. And the key piece is all those players are bought in. Uh, when you recruit high character people, when you recruit people with the intangibles, they're more likely to be bought in because they care about winning. They care about these things. And um, they have the ability to acquire people like Corey Dillon or Randy Moss that are seen as these uh, problem characters in other locker rooms. But yet when they go to the Patriots, they're almost transformed. And I think a lot of that has to do with the culture uh, but you can't just plug those guys in. You have to make sure you have that foundation for that culture. In the book you talk about, you make a sort of a statement that talent is essential to success, but success is not determined by talent. And so on the surface, that doesn't make any sense. Or the coach would read that and say, well, of course, talent is going to dictate success. But kind of correct maybe that line of thinking based on your observation. And, you know, as we talk about, uh, as we talk about the intangibles lending to the culture you want to build, um, where, where do coaches get that wrong sometimes? Well, I think like what I wanted to try and do with the book was maybe bring a fresh approach or maybe potentially change the way people thought about how you build high-performing teams. Mm -hmm. I, I think throughout my career, for a majority of the people that I worked with or people I talked to, the, the thought was, well, you got to have the Jimmys and the Joes because uh, uh, or else the X's and O's won't matter and all these different sayings. Mm -hmm. And like to a certain extent, that is true. Um, but the difference in talent at the highest levels is very small, very, very small. And I, I think that what ends up determining success ultimately has very little to do with talent. Um, and, you know, listen, we could sit here and, and cite a thousand different players that have had talent and maybe low character people that have had success. But I think there's more examples, especially when you look at the great teams and the truly great elite athletes where they weren't necessarily special, but yet they had these other qualities about them that elevated their performance or allowed them to continue to elevate their performance. Tom Brady is my favorite example. Sure. Um, you know, he's got the talent to be an NFL quarterback on a roster, right? He's six, four, he's two ten. He played at Michigan. He had some success at Michigan, right? Like, I don't want to discount him. Like he was a nobody coming in. Um, but the way NFL teams looked at it is they're like, well, yeah, he can be a backup or whatever. Um, but they, they really didn't, take into account 
the type of competitiveness that he had. What does it take to hold off a Drew Henson who at the time was, you know, now we're talking 20, 20 plus mm-hmm. years right. ago, but like yeah. at the time he's the most highly recruited athlete in the history of high school or of college athletics, because he's the top player in both baseball and football in the nation. Like the, the prevailing thought in athletics is, well, you got to play Drew Henson or else Drew Henson's going to go play baseball or he's going to go somewhere else. Right. Like, why are you making the assumption that Drew Henson is the best person to lead this football team? Uh, you know, and, and look, talent can ride out at a certain, at a certain level, but like what makes Tom Brady great is that he's able to be the guy that can bring teams back from losing situations because he's done it time and time again right. in his own personal life. And this kind of goes back to my book, which is like, that's what you're looking for in the quality. Those are the qualities you're looking for as you're recruiting. Right. Has this person had, Oh, go ahead, please. No, I was just going to jump in because you bring up Tom Brady's a great example. And a lot of coaches of course can relate to, the idea that, man, I would love to find a Tom Brady, you know, pluck him out when nobody notices the qualities he has. You know, let's say he's a, even at the Division One standard level, he's okay at Michigan. He's not a superstar. Um, you know, to your point, maybe he'll be a backup quarterback. And yet there was something about the way he approached preparation, life, everything else. that even at that point, um, there was a little, you know, spark there that that um, could uh, could be noticed. So I'm going to go back to sort of the college coach mindset. Concept sounds great. I want to find the next Tom Brady in my sport at my level and and get him on my team. Um, and the title of the book is Finding Intangible. So how do I go about, if I'm watching an athlete, how do I go about finding that intangible? And, and, and I'm assuming it's not just a um, a 10-minute process that you can run through and just find intangibles and and, and be done. But walk me through that process that with a prospect, you know, if I'm going to find the next Tom Brady, what what should I be doing as a coach if it, if you were going to give advice and say this is the way to do it? So I think like the first thing that you have to do is understand what leads to success within your competitive realm. Uh, hmm. So you know, listen, your division like, level, your league, your, your division yeah. level, you know, look at the teams that are the best in your conference or the best in the nation. Uh, what do they have? And, and the, how can you reverse engineer that on your team or what is going to be your competitive advantage? Or what are you noticing about the players that have success within your program or programs like yours? Mm-hmm. Um, yes, they're, they're tall, they're fast, they're, you know, um, you basically come you know, up with some, proto- some prototypes that you could observe and say, here's at least what we need to equal to be competitive in whatever landscape we're competing in. Yes. And, and there's two pieces. There's the, there's the actual talent piece, the measurables, the, the actual piece of their talent evaluation, but then also kind of like what characteristics do they bring to their team? Uh, what do other people say about them? What do the coaches say about them? That oftentimes tells the true story of who that person is, the effect that they have on their team and why they're successful. And this all leads back to eventually finding the story of the prospect. So once you kind of identify the things that you're looking for, um, I kind of tried to break it down as simply as possible again. uh, So three different levels. Uh, Number one, uh, you know, I talk about talent being essential for success, but not determining success. Like you need talent. 
Um, myself, uh, I did not play in college. Like I could not have made the first filter of being a division one football player. Uh, I'm 5'10, I weigh 160 pounds, soaking wet. Like, I'm not going to be that guy they're looking for. Um, and so, and I just didn't have the baseline talent. Uh, I wasn't a playmaker. So, sure. but if you have that, the, the idea is that you can get through that first filter. I think teams also need to think about, and this is the second piece, the team fit. So I talk a lot in the book about finding both a culture fit and a system fit. And I think that that's overlooked a lot of times because we do get enamored with talent. We say like, wow, look at this quarterback. Well, mm -hmm. this quarterback is a drop back passer and we run a zone read concept. Mm -hmm. uh, well, this guy's so good that we're just going to find a place for him. Okay. Well, we've just spent three years building up this team to play a certain style. Um, and I know this is true in other sports. And so you have to be realistic about what you're bringing into your team. Um, and you just identified that that person is good enough to play at your level, but are they a good fit for you and your team? Um, and a good example that I use, there's a player by the name of Cole Beasley. He's an NFL wide mm -hmm. receiver. Right. He's a short, shorter slot receiver. Right. Um, and he came to SMU. He, I think we were his only scholarship offer. This is when I was still coaching there um, back in 2008, 2009. And uh, I can remember watching his film and coach uh, June Jones saying, well, he's not going to be a quarterback, but you know, we can, we can teach him how to catch the ball and we'll make him into a slot receiver. He'll catch 50 balls a year here. Right. Didn't say like, Oh, this guy's going to be a, uh, NFL 10 year veteran, but, uh, you know, he ended up coming to SMU and catching a ton of balls, uh, being undrafted and, and he's in his 10th or 11th year in the right. NFL. Right. Well, the reason he was able to do, he could have gone to any other team in the nation and he would not have gotten to the NFL because they would have looked at him. They said, Oh, you're five, eight. Oh, we only play with three, three wide receivers. Oh, we just got this hot new recruit in who's six, four and da, da, da. But because he was at SMU and because he was a really great fit, his skill set was a really great fit for us, he flourished. Mm -hmm. um, and so team fit is big, both system fit, but then also, you know, are they going to fit our team? Like I said earlier, every person you bring in is telling the rest of the team what you're about. Uh, and then I think once you determine those things, I think the last thing that you kind of look at, um, ideally now you're down, you've whittled your prospect pool down to, you know, everybody in your prospect pool is good enough to play at your division level, at your competition level. You know, everybody that's left after the first two filters is a good fit for your system and is a good fit for your locker room. Uh, and just to kind of note, there are exceptions that are made, right? Like we have to be realistic. Someone might be so talented. They may not be a great fit for our system, but like this is a top 10 quarterback in the nation. We're going to move them through. We're going to find, we're going right. to move them into this final filter. Um, and I think once you get to that final, final filter, that's the finding intangibles filter. That is where you are looking at who has the characteristics. Everybody here is a good fit. Everybody here is talented enough to succeed at this level. Who has the actual character and the traits that are going to allow them to have success? Uh, because the last thing you want is for a player to get on your team and think, yes, I've made it. 
Yeah. And no, this I is what the entire this is what the entire book is about. Um, and there are certain teams, especially in college football, that should be in the top five every single year that aren't. And I'm not going to name names here. Uh, you know, I'll get going down another rabbit hole. But a lot of the reason is, is because they're recruiting a lot of five star guys that get on that campus and think they've made it. Yeah. And, and what you want. And, yeah. And what you want is you want the guy that is not only talented enough to play at your level, not only a great fit for your team in your locker room, but the guy that's going to sign that deal to be a division one athlete or whatever level you're on and think, okay, now I can get to work. Right. Right. Even during your season, it's the perfect time for preseason. What's preseason? It's the new source for coaches, athletic directors, and campus leaders who want the most advanced approach to social media, marketing, and telling the story to their prospects and recruits. Led by former college coach and marketing expert Jason Schmidt, Preseason offers colleges and programs cost-effective, next-generation marketing plans that are proven to work. Preseason is the name to remember when you're looking to tell your story more effectively on social media, your print publications, and on campus. Go to HelloPreseason.com to learn more. That's HelloPreseason.com. NCRC is back. The 2022 National Collegiate Recruiting Conference is relaunching their big summer gathering of coaches, athletic directors, and experts from college athletics. And it's all happening in beautiful Chapel Hill, North Carolina this summer, July 18th through the 20th. Will you be there, coach? It's the only source for in-person idea sharing, networking, and planning for your upcoming recruiting year. Plus, it'll feature expert speakers and coaches who will give you ideas and strategies you can't get anywhere else. To find out more about this summer's premier recruiting event, go to dantutor.com conferences. Register now to save your seat, and we'll see you there, coach. Liking what you hear on the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast? Then you're going to love our special training and information site, Honey Badger Recruiting. It's where Dan Tudor and his team of experts answer recruiting questions, publish the latest trends and research, and give college coaches the next level training they need to connect with their prospects. Visit dantutor.com and click on the Honey Badger link to become a subscriber. And if you're already signed up, Make sure you're up to date with all the latest information the Tudor Collegiate Strategies team has for you today. Again, just go to dantutor.com and click the Honey Badger link. It's your secret weapon in the nonstop battle to win the best recruits. Heading into the most challenging recruiting year of their careers, what are more and more college coaches and athletic directors using to give them an edge? ARI Recruiting. It does more than all the other recruiting contact management apps and websites do with no lag time, no lost information, and plenty of next generation features that has it beating the competition day in and day out. Oh, did I mention it's probably a lot less than what you're using now? Go to ARIRecruiting.com now, get a demo, and find out why this is the recruiting tool you've been waiting for. And a lot of coaches that are listening to this, if we've been on your campus or we've done talks about how to rate athletes, those that would, if you work on an ABC player scale, prospect scale, those are what I would describe as the B plus kids that aren't quite the A's. They're very good. They're above average, um, but they have to work a little harder. They have to keep up. You know, they're only five, eight. So I got to out hustle, out work. And that's the, almost the attitude that you want on your team is the guys who are coming in 
and or women that are coming in and saying, okay, I'm I'm glad I'm here and now I really got to work because hear from a lot of college coaches that one of the traits in this generation is college and being in my sport in college is sort of the goal all through high school and club and youth sports and they work their way up work hard you get a college scholarship or you get an opportunity to play at college and they get to college and say to your point evan i made it oh this is great and then the college coach turns in and say you made it but you're not good enough yet now you got to work harder and there's almost like this wait i'm you mean i'm not good enough i there's more work and you see a lot of um a lot of people that will um a lot of athletes that will say i'm done and you know and again that's where those intangibles come in if i had known that ahead of time maybe i wouldn't have uh, brought that athlete in and spent a roster spot on him yeah a hundred percent and i think that this you know speaking to the coaches the that is an integral part of this process right like just because somebody has all the intangibles and like i might sit here and of course i firmly believe in that and i might be all about that person you have to compare everybody right like oh this is a top 10 quarterback in the nation but he doesn't quite have i i question him as a leader uh he walks off the field and nobody really high fives him but he's so good. Right. Uh, and this other guy, you know, I mean, he's six one. If he was six four, oh, Dan, we'd be all over him. Well, it's always going to be like that. Right. And you have to, at some point, make a decision on, okay, are we going to like, are we going to roll the dice on this person who could be, you know, a potential game changer for us? Or are we going to go with the person that we feel very confidently about? Um, and obviously I could start telling stories here, but, uh, (laughs) I I think that, you know, it's on the coaches to kind of decide, you know, you have to weigh that and you have to decide like, what are you about? Um, and, and what do you think is going to lead to success, not only for the individual, but also contribute to the team success. Right. Yeah. And like you've been pointing out, that's an individual assessment that each coach has to determine that for themselves. So. Two more quick things just to, before we wrap up that I wanted to talk to you about or ask about. Um, coaches listening to this, find the intangibles, talk to the people around them, check, 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 I believe in all that. And then they're gonna say, but man, Dan, Evan, these kids, some of them lie. And some of the people around them will lie and just build them up and their club coach says they're great. And the high school coach says the same thing. and. This is, I mean, this is something that is really happening a lot out there where kids are posturing and they know what they know enough about what coaches are looking for to fake it to get in. Um, so how how do we cut through the BS uh, when we're looking for the intangibles of uh, you know, of an athlete that looks good? They're starting to check the boxes when it comes to what people are saying about them, and then I get to they they get to campus, and all of a sudden I've I have this completely different person on my hands because uh, that happens a lot. I can guarantee you that every coach that just listened to me say that has at least one person that that that's happened to them, and probably a lot of them have a lot more. So what what what's your advice or recommendation when it comes to that? Sure thing. So I, I have a section in the book that I talk about teaching vital undertaught skills Hmm. and uh something i'm very passionate about and we were talking before we got on this podcast about uh just early in my career you know the the simple things like learning to listen and learning how to ask questions how to read body language uh what does nonverbal uh communication look like and what's the difference between non-vocal communication all these different things 
that I didn't know about until I actually started to research it. I kind of cover in the book uh, as a prelude to kind of getting into the nitty gritty of what are you looking for when you're observing them in person? What are you looking for as you're talking to people? Um, and I think that what I tried to do was try and kind of give some outline and, and it's not necessarily, you have to check all these boxes. These are, as we know, you know, recruiting ends up being a lot of an investigative effort, right? And you're continually building this picture and, and you're really never done. Um, the best coaches that I was around, it's a constant evaluation. Uh, you know, Nick Saban, they always talk about how they have these daily and weekly recruiting meetings and they're constantly checking with coaches on like, what are you hearing now? Um, so it, it really never ends and I think that one of the things that you have to understand as well, and you mentioned it, all college coaches are very familiar with this. You're not going to hit on 100% of your kids. Right. And just because I've identified that, that Tom Brady and the New England Patriots of the last 20 years have these intangible traits doesn't mean you acquire a player with those intangible traits and it's going to work out. Like, uh, I think that one of the things I learned is that if you're hitting on 66 to 70% of the people you're bringing into your program. And when I say hitting, I, I mean, like they are contributing members on the field and they are contributing to the overall culture and, right. and team off the field. Um, I think you're in a really great position to have success. And I think that all this is about reducing that uncertainty. The yeah. finding intangibles is all about reducing that uncertainty. So I think that when, when you're talking about kids uh, lying to you or pre presenting a front, I think there's two main things that come to mind for me. Number one, talking to a person face-to-face -face. Um, because we're all aware kids can BS you on the phone. Uh, I don't even think if you're talking to a, an athlete on the phone, I don't even think they're really listening to you. I think they're probably playing video games and uh, just telling you what you think you want to hear. And uh, they probably you're probably the only person they talk to on the phone because um, it's all texting now. So you're, you're probably not really getting a true sense of who they are sitting across from somebody and hearing them say, oh, yeah, Dan, like, oh, yeah, I totally want to be an NFL player. OK, like, I don't think so. Oh, hey, Dan. I don't think you understand. Like, this is so important to me. This is for all the people that told me that I couldn't do it. They told right. me I couldn't be a player on the varsity team here. And I proved them wrong. And they are all saying that I cannot be a college player and I'm going to prove them. Like now I'm not saying that that guy is guaranteed to have success, but like, if you are starting to sense that in your conversation with them, okay, take note of that. It's one small piece of the puzzle but that could be a big indicator that they have that type of passion that is going to drive them through the hard times. And then I also think the second piece is you have to talk to the people around them and you cannot talk to the athletic director or the head football coach and say, Hey, is he a hard worker? Cause they're all going to say, yes, I've never met a head coach that, that totally tears a kid down. Right. Um, what led you to the, the fact that he's a hard worker? You have to go find those things right. Dig it deeper. Um, yeah. and you have to talk to the other people. And uh, I talk in the book about talking to the invisible people and who are the people that can tell you everything you need to know about that kid, that that kid does not think that you're going to talk to them. Um, I remember one time I was recruiting a kid and instead of going to the field house, the first place I went was the academic coordinator. Mm 
And I walk in and I say, hey, I'm here to see Jonathan Green. And she goes, oh, or I'm sorry. I'm here to see Jonathan Green's um, academic coordinator. Oh, that's Miss Sarah. Sit there. She'll be with you in a second. I sit down. And this is a Texas high school, five, mm-hmm. 6,000 ki- kids. There's two kids sitting across the bench from me. And uh, one of them goes, you're here to see Jonathan Green? And I was like, oh, yeah, well, I'm, I'm here to recruit him. Um, but I just want to talk to his academic coordinator first before I go talk to the head coach. He goes, oh, I'm Jonathan Green. Oh, hey, what's up, man? Uh, Why are you here to see Miss Sarah? Like, I'm, you know, don't you want to go see Coach so-and-so? And and I I was like, yeah, I will. After I talk to Miss Sarah, I go in to talk to Miss Sarah. I say, hey, I'm I'm a coach. I'm just doing my due diligence. I won't take up a lot of your time. I just want to know what you think of Jonathan here. The way she responded to me, she goes, Coach, Jonathan is challenging Hmm. okay so i mean stop here do you go to the field house right right Right. Uh, a lot of coaches would say and let me tell you something jonathan was a player like i looked at his film i was like i gotta go see this kid immediately but she is telling miss sarah is telling me everything i need to know uh he is gonna be challenging the moment he steps on campus and why would I think that he's going to be different? And there are circumstances, right? Like who knows what his background is. Um, And, and maybe that was when I was a younger coach, had I gone back, I would have said, Hey, go see the coach, go, you need to figure out this kid's family history. You need to understand the dynamics are at play. Why is he challenging? But that's like a huge red flag. And the coach is not going to tell you that he's going to be like, yeah, you know, he tries, he tries really hard. You know, he used to have a two Oh, and now he's got a two, two, four. I mean, he's really you know, on the upward trajectory. Um, and so you just need to be able to parse through all these things. And look, the hard part about all of this, Dan, is it all takes time. Like right. none of this is easy. Uh, you're trying to build a story for each person and, and you're not going to find this on the stat sheet. So I recognize that it's not, the easiest thing to do. Um, but I think talking to those invisible people a lot of times can tell you the true character and the intangibles that this person has or doesn't have. So coach, when it comes to the question of how do I find that next level student athlete that is going to do great things for our program, how do I look for him or for her? And how do I recognize the things that are going to set them apart from just the average recruit. Well, hopefully that gave you some starters. Again, I can't recommend his book uh, enough. Uh, Finding Intangibles is wherever you would find books uh, from your favorite bookseller. We will put a link to, uh, to that in the show notes. He also hosts the Highest Level Podcast. You can look that up on your favorite podcast platform. And again, all the different ways to, to contact Evan uh, we will put in the show notes so that you can get a hold of him and he'll talk to you, work with your program, uh, give you some advice and direction. So get a hold of him. And we're so glad that he spent some time with us here on the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast. One quick reminder, if you have not yet signed up for the National Collegiate Recruiting Conference, whether that is virtual or to be here in person, please do that. The NCRC is going to be fantastic. It's happening July 18th through 20th, 2022. And we invite you to be there. Go to dantutor.com, click on the conferences link, look for NCRC 2022, 
and it'll give you all the sign up and, and registration information. Get a part, be a part of it. Uh, make sure you get your seat reserved, and it's going to be some fantastic instruction over three days that you will not want to miss. All right, that's going to wrap it up for today. Coach, thanks for listening. We hope it helped, and we'll talk to you again soon here on the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast. The College Recruiting Weekly Podcast is a production of Tudor Collegiate Strategies. For more information on everything we provide college coaches, athletic directors, and the rest of your campus, visit dantutor.com. Thanks for listening, coach.